0: You are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. You know, sometimes uh, when I sit down early in the week, uh, usually on Monday, and I look at the readings for the coming Sunday, and I'll see, oh, that parable, that's so easy. You can preach that anywhere, or some other interesting lesson that's story-based. Sermons kind of just come together, and then there's these other weeks. You look and you kind of go, well, there's got to be something there. Not sure what it is yet, but, well, this was one of those weeks. When on Monday I read this brief snippet from the book of Acts that introduces this woman, Lydia, Then the gospel reading from John in which Jesus talks about the coming advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. That piece from John is part of a very long five-chapter scene set in the upper room before Jesus is arrested in which he talks at length to his disciples around a whole array of things that lie on their horizon. Sometimes that section is brilliantly clear and straightforward, and sometimes it weaves in and out with wording in the Greek that seems to be more than a little elusive. Uh, tonight was one of those. Those chapters are long. It's a way of of dealing with things that's so different from a parable or the Sermon on the Mount. John often requires both patience and persistence. So when I hit a point like that, I turn to various commentators pulling down books from my shelves and taking a look at what the different writers might have to say in an online platform called Working Preacher. As I read, I'm generally struck by how those commentators will help pull together things that I just skipped right past. That's after almost 35 years of preaching, but I still need some help from folks who spend their lives immersed in these texts. So, for instance, this Gospel text, which I think is brilliantly summarized by the Lutheran New Testament scholar Mary Hinkle Shore. She writes, While the world will not see Jesus any longer, it will see his followers. The words that follow are for his followers, yet it's probably not a coincidence that as his followers keep loving him, the world will see those followers keeping his word. To keep the word of Jesus means to keep his commandments. It is to wash one another's feet, to love one another. Which, as I said last Sunday in the context of a sermon that dealt with Jesus' new command to love one another, really strikes to the heart of John's understanding of who and what Jesus was about. There are but two clear commandments contained in the gospel according to John first, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the second, to love one another, and to demonstrate that in this humble act of being prepared to be servants for one another. The simple acts of obedience to the words of Christ the Master are meant to be the things that will speak to the wider world and speak with the great power of humility, not of pride, not of strength, of humility, Then, when you turn to the reading from the book of Acts you get a glimpse of what that might actually look like in the real world to love one another now our, our lectionary jumps us all over the book of Acts so it's easy to lose the thread of the full story if all you consider are just the Sunday readings for instance Tonight, we have skipped right past a story in the 15th chapter of Acts, which speaks of a rather serious breach between Paul and his companion Barnabas. In that incident, Paul is wanting to head out and visit the churches in all of the cities where he and Barnabas had already gone. and Barnabas is quite keen to do that. But he wants to take with them the young man, John Mark. Problem is, John Mark had gone out with them once before, but he'd ended up leaving partway through the journey. Barnabas is keen to give the young man another chance, but Paul, not so much. The description of this in the book of Acts is short and to the point. Quote, the disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. I think it's notable that our scriptures don't try to sugarcoat things, making it look as if no one ever failed, everybody got along wonderfully, they just sang kumbaya by the hour. No. They did mess up, and I find it oddly comforting. But Paul chose Silas. And in time, he would also add Timothy, along with one other figure who's not actually ever named, but who quietly appears in this reading tonight. And Listen again to the wording of the text. After Paul had dreamt that they were to go to Macedonia, Acts says... When Paul had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We. Us. Then further along, we set sail from Troas. We remained in the city. We sat down and spoke to the women. She prevailed upon us. There's a shift here, right here at this point, in the narration of the book of Acts. And from here on in, it would be told from the perspective of somebody traveling with Paul. And that someone is Luke, the author of this book. This is the moment when his long narrative of the gospel that bears his name, and then this book of Acts, becomes, in a very real sense, personal. These two books, Luke and Acts, are both addressed to someone named Theophilus, quite probably a Roman citizen of high rank. And together, Luke and Acts are meant to communicate just how transformational is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. And Luke was quite probably a Gentile one who'd come to faith through the ministry of Paul. In short, this book has now become far more personal than it previously was. And while Luke does keep himself somewhat out of sight and off to the side in all of the ups and downs of the story, it's always we and us. Then beyond that, there is this matter of what begins to happen for this little group of gospel people, as they make their way toward Macedonia and its capital city of Philippi, as Brian Peterson notes, Paul received the vision. But verse ten says that we concluded what it meant, what what to do about it. The vision must be interpreted, and that task does not fall to Paul alone. The small community contained in we, is involved in discerning that this is God's call, not just to an individual, but to us. So they arrived in Philippi, and on the Sabbath day, Luke writes, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who'd gathered there. Philippi, you see, had no formal synagogue. But in such such instances, it is not unusual for Jews and seekers to meet together in a public but quieter space. There in that gathering by the river, they meet this woman named Lydia, who's described as a worshiper of God, which indicates that while she is a Gentile, She's in a place of actively exploring the God of Judaism. Well, you heard how it went. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul, which suggests that this is not all about how good or articulate or convincing Paul and the others might have been, but rather that God saw Lydia as someone ready to receive with an open heart. So God moves her. She just soaks it all in. And right away she says, I want to be baptized, me and my household. Then she invites Paul and the others to stay on with her in her home. Now, in his commentary, William Willimon really fleshes out why this story is so very significant. And he does that by pointing to three significant points. First of all, she is a woman. And Willimon writes, When compared to conventional Jewish and Greco-Roman ideas about women, the church must have seemed radical in the way it welcomed women and featured them as leaders and prophets. Secondly, She's a Gentile. Williman says that Paul consented to stay in her house as the recipient of her hospitality, indicates that barriers which sometimes divided male and female or divided Jew from Gentile convert within synagogues do not hold in the church. Third, she's a member of the merchant class and wealthy. Willeman writes, the mixing of classes is particularly interesting. Given the context of the Roman world, where there was virtually no movement out of social class to which one was born, nor any expectation of movement, the classes stayed stratified. The church didn't. In Lydia, one after another of these historic social prejudices are failed. She is a woman, she's a Gentile, she has money as a merchant, and she is as welcome as anyone else. Don't know that we can quite imagine how revolutionary this all was. If the primary directive given by Jesus to his followers was to wash one another's feet and to love one another, that directive has just exploded in scale by the story of the conversion and hospitality of Lydia. Who do I love? Whose feet do I wash? Well, anyone. Anyone who I might begin to see as sister or brother, which in this reading from Acts turns out to be anyone and everyone, regardless of gender, regardless of class, regardless of religion. It is only one people now. Imagine just how revolutionary that not just was, but in fact still is. And 2,000 years later, we can still feel it stretching and challenging us to learn to bypass the social and personal prejudices of this world and to seek to see the other, whoever they might be, as brother or sister. Now, that's not easy. As many of you know, I, I live in a condominium in the exchange, and I'm on the board. And one of the things the board does is we, we have to take responsibility if there's any problem. We have security cameras that are on the various doors and in and around. And on, uh, on Thursday night, uh, a week ago Thursday night, somebody tried to break in the back door, smashed an old lock that wasn't functioning anymore, but... Couldn't get in, but I still had to go and look at the video. And there in the video was a woman of probably 20, 22 years old, looking obviously scared and distraught and probably high on drugs, trying to get in that back door. And there was part of me that was just, oh, come on. Would you grow up? And then this other part of me that kind of said, yeah. And I wonder who she is and what her story is. See, loving people, serving people, washing one another's feet isn't always an easy thing to do, but we are called to stop again and look again at people who we might perceive as being lost or losers or in the way. Oddly, it is at the heart of what we are called to do and to be. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.